Good morning. It is a delight to be with you. I'm so thankful that the doctor said I could come to Oklahoma. He wasn't even hesitant. Well, this morning, I want to talk about a subject that's very dear to my heart, and I think it's very dear to each of your hearts. I know last night in Brother Paul's message, he talked about sometimes what is one of the most important aspects of gaining and maintaining a Christian character, right? What's important? And over and over and over last night, we heard responses such as this. Time for communion with God and study of the word. Was that kind of the overwhelming thoughts that came back? How many were here last night? Okay. Was that the overwhelming consensus we came to, right? This is a vital key to develop the lovely character of Jesus Christ. Now, this question, I want you to answer in your heart. You don't have to raise your hand. But I know from my own experience, and I know in our family, speaking for all five of us, there have been times in this journey that the morning time of prayer and communion, and we choose to do it in the morning because we have proved too many times that if we do not seek first Christ, if we do not seek first the will of God for us in the day, you know what happens? It doesn't happen. Most always. It's very hard to come back to it. So how many have ever had that experience? I do want to see a show of hands. Okay. We have good intentions, right? We get distracted in the morning, and we have good intentions that I'll catch that in an hour, or I'll get that when I have this break in the day, but it doesn't really happen, and we go into our day without finding the connection that God wants us to have when we begin the day. So all of us have experienced that. But now in our family, we have also experienced that sometimes we are just not really enthusiastic and excited about having time for meditation and prayer. Or we are not necessarily excited or how shall I say, we're not feeling that we are gaining what we hope to gain in our study of the word. Sometimes it seems like we can be going through the motions, but not gaining what we want to gain. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know there's other people in this room today that have experienced that like we have. And I want to encourage you, don't give up. Persevere. And then we're going to look at today is how do we take this time in the morning with God... How do we take those moments, whether they're a half an hour, 15 minutes, or an hour, whatever you choose to to spend in that time of communion and study, how do we gain the greatest blessing? What can we do to freshen it up, to liven it up, to make us look forward to, to be motivated, and to come there to receive a blessing? Because, like I said, it hasn't always been that way for us. There's times it's, it's dry, and sometimes we can be discouraged. And so this morning I want to share with you some things as a, that I have found personally very helpful to me. And as a mother working with our children as they were growing at different ages and stages in life, that was very helpful in our family to make our morning time with God not just something that we can check off. Okay, I did that for today like a checklist. Okay, I got my chores done. I had my time with God. I did this. I did that. This, that, that. And I get to the end of the day and all my list is done. But most importantly, to make it meaningful to us, 
to make it personal to us, to make it so that it has an effect on who we are in the day. Isn't that what we want? Because if we just sit and read and we go through rote prayers, we can get up and be the same people we, we, we were the hour before we started and not be any different. And we want to be different people. That's why we're here. We've made a commitment to come here because we want to become more like Christ. So there's two ingredients to meaningful morning time. And I've already said what they were and we talked about it briefly last night. And that is time for prayer and time for Bible study. So we're going to divide it into those two areas. And I'm going to be sharing this again from my personal experience and as a mother. So those of you who have children and children, young people from the ages of four and up and maybe even younger can listen because I'm going to be talking about things you can do to make your time with Jesus in the morning fun, exciting, special, meaningful, and life-changing. So I want us to focus on Christ's prayer, kind of as the, the launching point for us today in our communion time with God. Because again, I think if we were all honest, whether we're little children or whether we're mature adults, we can get in the habit of saying the same prayer over and over and over in our mind, even out loud, and we can go through the whole five, ten, or however many minutes it takes you without a lot of thought of what we're saying. So I want us to to look at the model prayer of Jesus because here we see the ingredients of what our prayer should consist of. And I found this so intriguing, so encouraging, so helpful to direct my prayers, to break me out of the tendency to pray the same prayers again and again and again. Now, do I pray for the same people every day? Yes. Do I pray about the same needs? Yes. But we can pray in in a manner in which it's fresh and alive every day for today that makes it meaningful for us. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 through 13. We're going to dissect this prayer. And I'm sure if we all just didn't even open our Bibles, we could say the Lord's Prayer out loud together. And we've probably done it many times in churches, and we repeat it again and again together. But how many of us are focusing what Christ is really teaching us in this prayer? So that's what we want to look at this morning for the first part of the message. And so Jesus begins with these words. Our Father. Let's stop right there. Our Father. Jesus was praying alone. He was illustrating his prayer to his disciples, and he includes the disciples and all of us in that prayer. Before we were ever born, he included us. Isn't that a neat thought? Our Father, which art in, which art in heaven. Immediately, Jesus helps us to recognize that we are children of the Almighty God. And we are made in his image. We are made because he loves us. He loved us before he formed us. He formed man in his image out of a heart of love. And so he immediately sets us to recognize that God our Father is in heaven. We can acknowledge him as our Father, even if we don't have an earthly father. 
Which means then that we can trust and put our entire dependence upon God. Just like a child would look to their father, or in the situation it's a single parent home or a single mommy home, that child looks to mother and finds trust and dependence there. Are our children dependent upon us? Absolutely. And the younger they are, the more they're dependent on us, right? We are young Christians. We are babes in the Christian experience. And God wants us to know that he cares for us as a tender father. And that our dependence can be on him. That we want to be guided by his wisdom, obedient to his will, and accept his plan for our life. All of those thoughts are included in that opening phrase. That God is the, has the authority. He is the rightful parent to us. He is the one who owns us, shall I say. He is our creator, our maker, and through Jesus, our redeemer. How much better can we get than that? So right away, we, want, we recognize God loves us, and he wants to be our tender father. Thy kingdom come is the next phrase we want to look at. Day by day, And for me, I had to stop and think, what is the kingdom of God like? And then I had to think, what do I imagine heaven to be like? Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? Have you ever sat back and just daydreamed about what heaven's going to be like? If you haven't, I encourage you to do that. Think, just just meditate on what you believe heaven will be like. Will there be any fighting there? Will there be any sour attitudes Will there be any pain or sorrow? Will there be any complaints? Are you all awake this morning? Okay. I like feedback, so if you can help me. I want to know that you're you're understanding here. Is there going to be any complaints in heaven? No. Are we going to be happy there? Are we going to be glad to be there? Are we going to get bored there? Okay, so when we begin, thank you, when we begin to imagine what heaven's like, and now Jesus is teaching us, thy kingdom come. The kingdom of heaven is where is it supposed to come? Down into our hearts, right? Right here is the invitation. Jesus is saying to the Father in heaven, thy kingdom come. I, Christ was praying for the power of his Father to operate in his life for that day through those words. Your kingdom, Father, I want in my life today. Thy kingdom come. So day by day, our hearts that are naturally prone to sin and rebellion are going to be motivated by the love of a tender father to yield our will to his will. Thy kingdom come. Because when we're in heaven, we're going to find it our greatest joy to do the will of God. And friends, we need to learn that joy here so that we want to be there, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now Christ is very specific, isn't he? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That means if we don't think we're going to have a temper in heaven then God doesn't want us to have a temper here either. If we're going to be patient in heaven, then we learn that patience 
here. If we're going to be kind in heaven, then we learn how to be kind here in our own homes to my husband, to my children. If we're going to be happy in heaven, then we're going to be happy living here. We're going to be happy in our homes. It is such a joy when we begin to experience this prayer lived in the reality of our lives and in our families. Because you know what? Home is a happy place. Are there mistakes? Yes. Do we fall? Yes. But the tenor of our homes will be happy. They will be peaceful. They will be heaven-like. And that's what Christ is modeling to us. We need to pray that God will give us the disposition, he will give us the desire, and he will empower us by our free will choice to respond, that we will accept his power to become his children, to live today, this very day, this very day at camp meeting, like we would live in heaven. Isn't that a neat thought? I think it's exciting. So God will give us victory, and we help our children. Today, honey, God wants to give you victory over that slothful spirit you have, over the attitude that you don't want to do your chores. Today, God wants us to be happy doing our chores. Today, God wants mother to be patient in dealing with you, in working with you. Children today, I want to be happy. I don't want to be selfish. These are the things God wants to change in our lives now so that we begin to live here the kingdom of heaven that we we say we want to live for eternity. Then it goes on. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we tend to think of that in the physical sense, and that's true. God is simply saying, Christ is simply saying, we need to present before Jesus, before God the Father, in our prayer time every morning, our needs of the day. And that does include the physical needs we have. Our daily bread. What is important, necessary to sustain life, right? That's a part of that. But more than that, it's give us this day our daily bread. It also has a counterpart talking about the spiritual here. We are simply inviting God to put in our heart the bread of heaven, the bread of life, Christ, working in our hearts. So we present before God our needs. And we, we tell, Lord, and I can tell you many times I prayed for patience. That's something moms pray a lot about. And probably every parent would. And really, it would do us all good to pray for that, right? Patience. God wants to supply that need as much as he wants to supply the need for physical food to sustain life as he supplies all the other things that he gives us in life that we don't even recognize. And in this part of the prayer, it's to help us to think of how many blessings God has given us and to include in that a thankful heart. What are we thankful for today? And we, we helped our children to begin to identify, to break them out of these rote prayers. We prayed this, these prayers in this fashion, and we talked about, honey, what do you want to find victory over today? What do you want Jesus to help you with today? Because he will answer that prayer, that very need. And what are you thankful for today? And have the child, even in their prayer when they're very little, You can ask questions and help them to think. And then they respond in the prayer. And they learn how to expand the mind in prayer. And you know what it did for me? It expanded my mind when I helped my children expand their minds in prayer time. 
So God wants us to present before him our daily needs. And the next part of the prayer goes, forgive us of our debts. Another word for that in the more modern English would be, forgive us of our sins, our debts, as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who have wronged us. Now, this is a thought question, and it's for everybody here who's understanding what I'm saying, and even you children can understand. Have you ever held a grudge in your heart? You know what a grudge is? Mother asks you to do something like, honey, mother would like you to dust the living room. And you think, it's not my turn. I did that last week. It's my sister's turn. That's not fair. And you get an attitude about mother. And you hold on to that. And for us adults, we get attitudes about others as well. Sometimes it's, it's the love of our life we get an attitude about. Sometimes it's a, another family member. Often it's those closest to us. Not always, but often it's those closest to us that sometimes we have the most hard hearts towards. Have you ever experienced it? Of course you have. It's part of the weakness of human nature. It's part of all what self is about. Not selflessness, but self. And that self God wants to change in us and to crucify in us. So in our prayer... What this part of the prayer is saying is God wants us to be specific about what it is that we have done wrong. You know, you often hear prayers, forgive us of our sins and shortcomings. You ever said that or heard that? You hear it often, almost every week at church, if, if not more often that you may even say it in your own prayers. Jesus was not specific, but he was modeling that we need to be specific about this area. If we will come before God and we will confess and repent of our wrongdoings, our wrong choices, our wrong words, our wrong attitudes, our wrong actions, be specific about what I did wrong and ask God to forgive me for what I did wrong and to change my heart so I don't want to do what I did wrong anymore, God will help us overcome. And that's what he's asking, to be specific about our sins. When we bring our sins in, before God, our debts before God, we're to confess them without excuse. Lord, I got upset with my husband, but you know he really bugs me. When he has that certain look in his eye, and I know when he gets that look in his eye, Lord, I just... No, there's no excuse for sin. Do we believe that there's no excuse for sin? Let me try it. Do we believe there's no excuse for sin? Amen. Because if we didn't believe it, we wouldn't be here. If there was ever an excuse for sin, it could have already been found and we wouldn't be in where we are today. There is no excuse for sin because there's always a way of escape made. So when we bring our sins before God and we confess them specifically, we are not to confess them with a but... Or an if attached. We are to confess them because I have chosen, irregardless of what anyone else has said or done or looked like, I have chosen to go against what I know God's will is for me in that moment when I speak or react. So we confess our sins without excusing ourselves, justifying ourselves, or rationalizing ourselves. And when we come to this, we will find it much easier to make the second half of this phrase much more of a 
reality in our lives as we forgive our debtors. We, we have compassion and understanding on those who've wronged us. We can actually forgive people before they ever say they're sorry. We can have a forgiving heart. We can have a loving response and a kind response and good thoughts about somebody before they've ever said they're sorry. And they may never say they're sorry. But we have already learned to forgive them because we have learned how God forgives us. And then the closing of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does God put us into temptation? Does God put us, does God put us into temptation? No. Does, devil, does the devil lead us into temptation? Yes. Does God allow it? Yes. Okay. Do we ever place ourselves in temptation? Yes, we do, okay? So we have ourselves, and we have the devil, and we kind of work real good together, leading ourselves into temptation, right? But here our prayer, we are to pray, lead us not into temptation. That means that we are asking God, within his mercy and his love and his power, as far as possible, to shield us from anything that is unnecessary for us to have to pass through in the day. That would be more than we can bear. And you know, whatever comes to us, no matter what the trial is, whether it's a broken arm or a broken heart, broken health, a broken attitude in the home, a broken relationship, whatever it may be that's broken, God will help us be able to bear it. And we can find his power to go through it. And we can come through that temptation, that trial, and we can come through it with joy in our hearts and, and, a, and a realization that Jesus Christ is giving me the victory over how I would normally respond in the situation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That means we should close the door to every avenue possible ourselves, because we know some of our weaknesses, don't we? I mean, don't you know what pushes your buttons, right? How many know what pushes your own buttons? How many of your, how many of your children know what pushes mom and daddy's buttons? Okay. How many husbands know what pushes your wife's buttons? How many wives know what pushes your husband's buttons? Of course we know, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can individually, and just think what this would be like in our homes, if each one of us individually would choose to close the door to those temptations. Wow. We would be in love with each other. We would be living in harmony with each other. We would live happily with each other. So why don't we do it? Because we don't pray enough. We don't pray seriously, or we don't recognize our need, or we've never thought about it in that way. Those are some of the reasons, not all, but those are some of the reasons why we continue to fall the way we fall in some of our weak areas. So we should close the door to every temptation. God wants us to develop his character in us, and he will not permit us to be brought across any temptation that in his strength we cannot overcome. And that is a beautiful promise. That's an absolute. It's not conditional. It's an absolute. And that can give all of us excitement and hope. 
So as we begin to formulate this prayer of Christ in our minds, we begin to personalize it and apply it to our personal needs of the day in our family, in, in our extended family, in our church family, in our friends friendship circles, and however far that those prayers go, we want to include these aspects, and we want to make it so that it has meaning in our lives. You know when we pray like that in the morning? I can tell you we are much more sensitive when we go through the day, and we are, that sensitivity is not only to how we are feeling inside when negative things want to pop up, but we're also as more sensitive to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to give us better words, better reactions, better responses. And that's exciting because we can begin to see how God is really working in our lives. Isn't that exciting? That's what we want, right? We want to be happy, vibrant, living Christians. We wouldn't want any other way to live other than living like Jesus. That's meaningful prayer time in the morning. It sets us off in the day. It launches us off on the right foot. It gives us the right perspective for the day. It gives us the right attitude to go into the day. And it erases all the grumpies that we might be tempted with that filter into our mind before we ever get our head off the pillow of what could happen or what did happen or what's going to happen in the day. And now I want to spend a little time, and again, I'm going to be talking about this from my personal experience and as a mother, looking at what we can do to make our study time in our homes personalized for our needs, for our children's needs. When our children were young before they could read, and we began to see the need to start to have personal devotions. First, our, our, our first recognition was family worship, family worship. We got that going, and then we realized there's more to life than just the family worship. We need to be personally connected with God. I can remember when my husband and I first began that, our children, we had two at the time, they began waking up every morning. The earlier we woke up, the earlier they woke up. And the more cranky they were, the more fussy they were. In fact, our oldest daughter was about three at that time. She would just wake up. We were getting up earlier and earlier and earlier, and she'd wake up and she'd just scream with these, almost like she was in a horrible nightmare. And we were just, you know, of course, your attention's drawn to your little child, and the focus is there. And the more we tried to get up earlier, the more early they woke up, and it was getting discouraging because we weren't getting anywhere. My husband finally said, honey, this is the devil. We need to pray that God will keep his hand over our children and push the devil aside, keep the devil at bay, so that because the devil knows we want to have time for communion, time to study. And the devil doesn't want that because he doesn't want us to connect with God. And we pray, Lord, keep your hand over our children. Help them to sleep sweetly. Please keep the devil at bay. And you know the next day and from there on, it wasn't an issue anymore. That was powerfully encouraging to us. So when they were little and they didn't know how to read, we began with their personal devotions by simply putting on a cassette tape. Those of you who are old enough here to know what those are. (laughs) Cassette tapes. And they could push the one button. They didn't have to read play, but they could see where it was on the machine. They could press that little play button, and they would sit on on their beds, or they would be on their beds, and they would be listening to simple scripture songs being sung. That would go on for 15 or 20 minutes. Tape would click off. Their devotions were done. I mean, we had to start somewhere. I didn't have any ideas. That kept their minds occupied. And you know what else it did? It, it set the tone for a sweet beginning to the day because the songs were happy. The music reflected the promises and the beauty of the scriptures. And it began to 
to um, embed in their minds the Word of God before they could ever read. That is, those are all positives. And so now they're, they're getting up more prepared, more happy, because they've heard happy music all about Jesus in the morning. Isn't that a great way to start your day? It's good for us, too, as adults, you know what? Try that someday, just for a little variety in your devotions. Listen to a scripture song tape. Sorry, CD these days. We also read to them, as for their personal devotion, separate than family worship, they could read the Bible storybook by the pictures. And then my husband or I would spend personal time with each of them going through the stories to make it personal for them. Then as they got older, we also used the Bible being read on tape. CDs hadn't been invented yet. The Bible being read on tape. And it was amazing as our girls could read and they got Bibles and they were all excited and they were launching off into their personal devotional time. And Josiah was still too little to read. We would let him sit in his room on his bed and we got him a notebook, a special notebook and a special pencil just like we got the girls. So they could write down scriptures they had read in worship that they liked in their devotions. And then at family worship, they would share what those scriptures were and why they liked them. And so Josiah had his notebook and he couldn't write, he couldn't read, he couldn't spell. So he drew the pictures of the stories he heard. At three and four years old, we've got spiral notebooks full of stick men, stick people, just lines and round circles. And that's about all it had. Maybe a sunshine or a tree, if a tree or a sunshine was in the story. So basic, if you were, I were to look at it, we would think some child was scribbling page after page after pages, marking up lines and drawing circles. But you know what was amazing at that age? We would go in there after 15 minutes and he was listening to the New Testament without dramatization, without any, you know, strange voices and drums rolling and music making you fearful and all those kind of things. It was simply the voice of Alexander Scorby reading the, the Word of God, King James Version, and a three- and four-year-old taking notes by pictures, and he could tell us every story he drew. And he could go back two weeks later and tell us what those stories were about. So our children are not too young to begin to develop the habit of daily devotions with God. And then... As they get older, we need to have variety in their devotions. We need variety in our devotions. And sometimes that's one of the reasons why we find ourselves getting discouraged or not enthusiastic or for whatever reason, because we don't offer ourselves variety. And I can remember one experience that happened in our home that was quite traumatic to me. And that was the day that my special Bible that my parents had given me when I was a girl, probably about high school age, they had my name printed on the front, a very nice leather Oxford Bible, you know, really nice Bible. And for many years, I had studied the Bible and I had gone through highlighting different uh, biblical principles like, where do we go after we die? And I marked all those texts that had to do with that subject in a color. And I cross-referenced my Bible. And then I did a study on, um, uh, you know, what day of the week should we worship God on? And I did a cross-reference, and I marked that in a different color. And I went through every foundational doctrinal principle of Scripture that way over a period of years and marked my Bible. And it was precious to me. 
But you want to know what? The honest truth was I had a lot of knowledge and I felt secure if I could find the first text that I could find the rest of them because I cross-referenced it. But it had no real meaning, no real application to me. I had a lot of head knowledge. And I remember one day we had company and Josiah was in probably 14, 15 months, somewhere in there. He's still in the napping time and we put a little uh, playpen in our bedroom our room was small, and it sat right by my, my nightstand where my Bible was, and he took a nap. And it seemed like he was sleeping a very long time. And I finally went in there to check on him, because I thought he should be awake, and he was awake. He had stood up in the playpen. I don't know at what point. He was able to just be close enough with his little hand to get a hold of that Bible and pull it into the playpen with him. Now, this is not a, you know, cardboard book pages. This is the little thin pages like this one has. And he was not intentionally destroying it. He's doing what any 14-year-old would do with a Bible in their hand, trying to open it up. And it was worse than a loose leaf. There were pages missing. There were pieces of pages missing. There were, you know, there was part of them that were probably ingested. You know, I think... The prophet says, I found thy word and I did eat it and it was with joy and rejoicing. And so that was a trial for me because that Bible was special to me. And I was very discouraged because I spent years with this Bible. And now it's destroyed because I don't even have all the content to it. And what pieces, you know, some of it was still intact, but there were pieces totally gone. And, and some of them, how would you ever get enough scotch tape to put it all back together? But you know what? God allowed that to happen because it's just what I needed. I needed to get my mind off of an old-fashioned way of studying and learning to study so that the Bible became alive for me and for our children. And that, from that day forward, and when I got my new Bible, I said, God, you're going to have to teach me how to study. And this is what I'm going to share with you now. This has helped me. It's helped our children and our family. It's a springboard. It's just to whet our appetite. You don't have to do it, but it's there if you want to do it. But develop what works for you. That's what I'm trying to communicate with you. And so I called it my Bible marking code. And instead of going through the Bible for foundational doctrinal principles, I went through the Bible looking for specific things about what I'm like when I don't have Jesus in my heart. And the Bible's very clear what we're like when we don't have Jesus in our hearts. What I can become when Jesus is abiding in my heart. That's a pretty picture. What God will do for me and what God wants me to choose to do. And those are some of the things. So we want to look at this briefly here. This is just to whet your appetite. You can go to our ministry website. You can download this Bible marking code off of our website. And you can, you can personalize it. You can use it exactly as it is. You can... Look at it, read it, say, this isn't for me, and set it aside, however you want to do it. But I want to cover a few areas and why I chose the colors and what, what it has done for me in my study and for our children. So the first area I marked was in yellow, principles to guide us. And I chose the color yellow because when you think of finding your way somewhere, you think of having light, right? And so here's the principle, uh, biblical guideline Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So usually we color yellow, a lights is yellow, right? The sun is yellow, the lights in the house are yellow, the windows are yellow if the lights are on. 
So I used that color. Any principle in Scripture, I would highlight in yellow. And I needed to know what God's principles were. I knew what truth and doctrine were. Now I need to know what principles were that were personal for me. And so here's an example. Philippians 2.14. I have two examples on each one. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Do what? All things without what? Murmuring. That's it. Do everything in life without a complaint. Basically, that's what it's saying. Is that a principle? Oh, yeah. Is that easy? Does it come natural? Is, is it just flow out of us? Of course it doesn't. Because we are very quick to complain, to murmur, even to dispute, right? So when I saw this, I underlined that in yellow because that wasn't me. And that's who God wants to make. I, I, that's a principle. God wants me to begin to implement in my life, and I highlighted that in yellow. We're going to move through these really quick. And then I looked at the color brown. We each have a natural heart. The Bible calls it the carnal heart. That is simply meaning selfishness. My way, I'm right, me first. That's all about me and self and I, right? Me, myself, and I. When we look at Bible people, people in the scriptures who have this attitude, do we see a a really uh, appealing person? Do we see an appealing person? No. So every time I went through scripture, and I would read scriptures that had to deal with who we are when Jesus is not abiding in our hearts, I would underline them in brown. Because we're made of dust, and dust by itself is not pretty, is it? When we get dust in the house, we want to get rid of it, right? When we get dust on ourselves and we get dirt covering us when we're in the garden, we want to get rid of it, right? We want to be cleansed from it. And dust is, the, is, is a color, a brown, and it's something that's not desirable. But when, when we take the frailty of humanity and it's mixed with the beauty of divinity, then we become a living soul. We, become, we can become a vibrant Christian. So the reason I use that, Genesis 3.19, for dust thou art, and dust shalt thou return. So anything in the Bible that had to do with who we are, who I am, when I do not have Jesus abide in my heart, I would underline that in brown. You know what happens when you go through your Bible and you see all this brown in there and you start reading about those people? You think, oh, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Here's some examples, Jeremiah 7, 24, but they hearkened not nor inclined their ear, but they walked in the counsels and in the imaginations of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. That's, that's how we are, naturally. So any scripture that described our humanity aside from Christ, I would highlight that or underline that in the color brown. And then I went on to God's love. And God's love was demonstrated through not just living here, that was part of how his love was demonstrated, but the culmination of his love was demonstrated how? In his death for us, right? And for me, I chose the color red, which represents the blood of Christ shed. So any text I would read in Scripture that talked about God's love or God's sacrifice, I would highlight in red. And you know what that does? When you open your Bible and you start reading these texts in red, it impacts your heart about how much God loves us. And we need to know that God loves us. 
And we need to see how much what, he, what that love did for us. The whole chapter of Isaiah 53, you could underline that in red. He was despised, rejected, oppressed, stricken. Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So here we see the love of God by allowing his only begotten son to be sacrificed in our behalf. So I would underline those texts in red. And it began to direct my thinking to God, his love, his sacrifice. And it began to have an effect on my heart in response to that. When somebody treats us better than we deserve and they keep giving us love, even even if we have unkind words and, and we have bad attitudes, what does that do to us? It breaks our hearts, doesn't it? It softens us. It draws us to them, right? And this will draw us to Christ. Then I use the color orange here because here we see God's love calling to our hearts through the principles of his word. That's yellow. The love is represented by red. And to come up with the color orange. And so here in scripture, I used any, any of the strong words that often start a text that are, that are obviously calls to our heart. Words like hear, come ye, hearken, turn, heed, yield, return. Those are all words I'd underline in orange because those words are written to get my attention, to get your attention. Listen up, God's saying. I have something special to tell you. Hear, hearken, yield. Those are calls immediately to our heart. So I use those in the color orange. An example of that would be Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 8. Today, if I will hear his voice, I don't want to harden my heart. See how you take it and personalize it? It's not out there. It's not abstract. It's not a third person. Today, read your Bible in first person. Change out the you's and the them's for the me and the I's. Today, if we hear, if I hear his voice, I don't want to harden my heart. I want to listen. That's a call to my heart, and I would underline that in orange. So pick up your Bible, and any, almost any page you turn, it speaks immediately to you, because those words are throughout the entire scriptures. And then I went to the color blue, because God, we see his part through sacrifice, through the blood. We, he's given us the principles He's shown us what we're like apart from him. He tells us what we can be like with him. And now through through the color blue, he wants to show us what our part of salvation is. Do we have any responsibility in our salvation? Did God freely give it to us? Must we choose it? Must we maintain that choice to receive it? Yes. So here we go with the color blue. Blue representing obedience because blue represents the law and obedience to the law of God. Examples of that, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Whether it's a broken arm or a child who's not cooperating, God has a plan for us. And we need to trust him. So those scriptures I would underline in blue because God's telling me, Elaine, that is your responsibility. That is a choice you need to make. That's a choice each one of us need to make. So I would underline those in blue. 
And then I use the color pink, which represents the righteousness of Christ, the color white, which I don't have anything in white because I didn't have a white marker. But the color white mixed with the righteousness of Christ mixed with blood, red. You get the pink color, and those are the promises that he has given us. That's what God's going to do for us. And here we read it. Examples, Isaiah forty-two sixteen. I will bring the blind by a way they know not. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them. And it continues. I, I, I. Are those good things God's going to do for us? Amen. Do we want him to do that for us? Do we have the wisdom to figure it out? Do we have the wisdom to figure out how to go through the day? Not apart from Christ. That's why God has promised, I will do this for you. And at the beginning of the day, when we start reading those promises, we set ourselves in a position to be motivated to listen to the Holy Spirit, believe in those promises, and act in accordance with those promises. And God will empower us to live the way we read that we want to become. And last but not least, I use the color green to represent the walk of faith. Obedience, the color blue, to the principles, the color yellow, brings us the combination, the walk of faith. Obedience to the will of God, the walk of faith, the Christian growth. And examples of that would be Luke five eleven. They forsook all and followed him. Today, it means that we will forsake everything else and make God first in our thoughts, first in our actions, and first in our words. That is the walk of faith. It's knowing what's right and then choosing to do what is right gives us the walk of faith. So that's just a little, and you can go back, there's more examples on this. You can study it for yourself. This was incredibly powerful in my life. To me, it made my, my Bible become so precious. It became so interesting. It became so exciting to sit down every morning. It didn't matter where I read, whether I was in the New Testament, the Old Testament, even some of those minor prophets or you know, some of those hard-to-understand prophets. For me, I have a simple mind. I could still get some basic messages from those books that I would naturally understand by using this because I saw God was speaking to me in those, in those words through Hosea or through Jeremiah or through some of the other prophets. Ezekiel, that was the hardest one for me, to be honest. Ezekiel, still struggle with that one. But I could find things there by using this that were powerful in my life. And it was exciting and motivating for me to study the Word of God. And I took that and I translated that same system over into to studying the inspired commentaries, the spirit of prophecy also, that highlight this. And the two in combination was, wow, this is, this is fun, this is exciting, and I'm finally getting it. And that was encouraging. Because, you know, just before my Bible was destroyed... I was nearly destroyed spiritually. A mother of three feeling like, I don't get it. I'm too dumb. I can't. I fail all the time. And I listen to preachers and it all flows out from them. I don't understand and it's just no hope. This gave me hope and it changed my life. And it really had a powerful influence in our home. I want to share a couple of examples. Teaching this to our children... Was, was very powerful. Because we would sit, they would, we, they would study, they would use this. 
Now, they've since developed their own things, and that's okay, because that's how they, they personalize it. But where we started together, this really is helpful. And I remember one day we were at a camp, and it was morning time. We, were all, in, we all stayed in the same room, and we, you know, I would get up first and get my shower, and I would study, and then various people would get up and get their showers and study. And now Josiah was sitting on, he had gotten up and gone into the shower. He came out, he was eight years old, and he had fashioned his hair in a new do style. Something that he had seen at the camp that was not normal. And he was very, you know, you don't have to spend energy teaching the bad. It comes spontaneously almost, right? We spend energy teaching the good, right? And so for years, he's eight years old, he's always combed his hair the same way, or mother's combed it for him, or he's done it himself. And he comes out with this new do. It was just up the top, you know? And I t- he came across the room, he sat down on his little bed that was on the floor, and I looked at him, and I had something I wanted to say to him. God had something he wanted to say to me. And I'm thankful I listened to him first. And he called to my heart, and he said, don't say anything, and you just focus right here. Don't be distracted. Just leave it alone. And I, and I had followed that, that still small voice prompting. I'm thankful he caught me at the beginning of the day. I'm thankful I was taking time because maybe in my normal mother, you know, wanting to make sure everybody's doing right, that I might have just bypassed that thought or those, those words and just taken right off like we do as parents. And I sat there and I refocused here and I prayed for my son and I refocused and I kept going. I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later, Josiah gets up, walks across the room, goes in the bathroom, in there a few minutes, comes out, and his hair is all put down, and he sat back down on the bed. Picked up his Bible and started studying again. Then the Lord said, okay, now you can talk. You ask him what, what's going on. I didn't want to ask any questions the first time. I wanted to tell him, you can't wear your hair like that today, son. Go fix it. So I said, Josiah, tell me what's going on. What, 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 I mean, what, what's going on? And, he, and I went down, I sat with him on the bed, and he says, well, Mother, I saw this boy yesterday. I said, yeah, I saw him too. <laughs> this guy is pretty obvious. And he just wanted to try out the new do, you know. So he was copying this one boy. One boy! He wasn't going to copy one boy. Dozens of boys. Didn't copy them. They all look like him. So he said, Mother, I was reading. I was reading Jeremiah chapter 7. I said, okay. What is in Jeremiah chapter 7? No idea. So he goes with me in his Bible, and he reads to me this verse. Jeremiah 7, verse 19. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? He's reading in Jeremiah chapter 7. It has nothing to do with hairdos, by the way. So don't go looking for hairdos in there. But the title of my Bible says, Amend Thy Ways, at the top of the chapter. Hmm, that has something to do with hairdos, doesn't it? So he was reading, and he got to that verse. When he hit that verse, the Holy Spirit caught his heart. And he yielded his heart. And he went in the bathroom, and he combed it back the way he always wore his hair. And he came back happy. And he, was, he had an inner peace because he had found victory. 
in doing the will of God. Now, does God, I mean, is God angry because we wear our hair a certain way? No. But what hurts God, and yeah, what can anger God, is that we stubbornly refuse to yield our will to his will. That's what all of Jeremiah chapter 7 is talking about. Powerful. And he learned by using that Bible code how to decode the Bible for personal application. And God used his words, not mother's words, because mother doesn't have the right words. God used his words through the power of his Holy Spirit to change a heart. And that's what God wants to do in all our hearts today. Allison, she was 12. She was studying on victory, not just knowing what's right, but hey, we all know what's right most of the time, right? Pretty much all the time, if we're honest. It's choosing to do what's right is the catch. And she had a habit of not being tidy with her coat. Come in, drop it, go. Because it's quicker, isn't it? Isn't it quicker just to drop the coat? Than to ha- Which is faster, to let it go on the floor or to hang it up? Let it go. So she dropped it. She comes back downstairs, picks it up, hangs it on the peg. Because she's studying on victory. Realize that God wanted her to have victory over that. You know what? It's really, children, it's faster if you just hang it up the first time, then drop it, walk away, and have to come back and get it, pick it up, and then hang it up. You just hang it up the first time. It's faster. God's all about saving time, right? And then Emily at 18, I'm using different ages. She came to Tom and I one day, and she says, you know what? I just want you to know, I'm going to put, go back here. She was doing a study on honoring parents. Is that a good study for young people in those teen years? Honoring parents and especially in the line of association. She says, I don't have the wisdom or experience you have. And I want you to know I'm willing to cooperate with you and listen to your guidance and direction. God uses his word to motivate our hearts. And let's give God the time in his word to motivate our hearts and see the difference he can make in our hearts. There's many other examples. Make your morning time meaningful with God. If it gets dry, give it some variety. But for me, it's never become dry again since I've used this Bible study plan because the word is always fresh. It's always alive. It's always personal. It's always what I need. And it can be that way for you too. Let's kneel and ask the Lord to help us to be good at making our morning time meaningful with him. Shall we pray together? Father in heaven, we recognize this morning We've known for many years or months, maybe for some only weeks or even days, the importance of having time with you every day. We say we want to spend eternity, but you want us to spend these moments with you, not wait until we're on the other side of this world, but you want to have that time with us while we're here in this world to prepare us for the world to come. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us here, whether we've had exciting times spending with you in prayer and devotions and study, or whether we've been discouraged, frustrated, overwhelmed, wanting to give up. Lord, take us wherever we are. Encourage us, motivate us, speak to us personally. Help us to understand how to study that will meet 
the needs of our own heart, not for some philosophical correctness in our understanding of Scripture. Help us to become like you, Lord, by spending time with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.